Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thanks, Mark. And uh, tonight as we begin, we're only going to have time to do the first two verses. So I'd like to keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter one and, or 12 and look at verse 1 with me now. And get your sermon notes out and allow God to speak to you through his word tonight. Verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let, that, let it, them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the way to truly worship him. Now look in your Bibles, and your translation might say something different, but Paul begins the chapter here by saying, I plead with you, or I beg you, or I urge you. It's all the same word in the Greek, this idea that Paul is begging them. He's the apostle, and he could command them, but he doesn't command them because he knows that they have a choice. He knows that it is their option to opt into this worship or not opt in, and so he has to be strong. He can't command them, but it's also not a suggestion. Like, I think it's a really good, guy, a good idea, guys. If you, if you do something like this, that's not what Paul is doing either. He's, he's saying, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to listen to me. I think of it kind of like a motivation. And, 
and uh, Matthew plays uh, fifth, sixth grade basketball, and and um, he's one of the younger ones on the team, and they're just getting started. They're just learning, and it's funny to watch the coaches kind of pull their hair out because they're just learning, and it's not going very well. And and I, I watch in the timeouts, and, and it's like the the uh, the coach is saying, "I'm begging you to listen and tell do what I tell you to do. You know, stand where you're supposed to stand and do what you're supposed to do." And I feel like Paul's doing that here. He's begging them, "Look, look, you've got." to do this. And he says, you've got to do this in light of God's mercy. See, if you remember in Romans chapter 1 through 3, you're a sinner, and you have no excuse. But God loves you, and he has grace upon you, and and it's good with God. And so uh, looking at his mercy, and we all need God, he says, in view of God's mercy, and then looking at everything else, he says, it's the, it's the logical, it's the, it's the intelligent, it's the reasonable, depending on your translation, it's the right thing to do. I'm begging you. What is he begging us to do? He's begging us to worship God. I beg you to worship. But the the worship is actually the idea of presenting our bodies to Christ. So I'm begging you guys to give yourself to Christ. To give yourself over. a, A living sacrifice to a living God. And that means something in the time period in which Paul is, is talking, because the Romans of that time period knew what it was like to worship at the pagan temples. They would go there and there'd be a, a statue of the emperor, or maybe there'd be a statue of an idol or something in front of them, and they would go and they would worship. They'd place their meat there, they'd place their flowers there, and you know what that was? That was something dead. That meat is going to rot. Those flowers are going to die. And it's a dead sacrifice to a dead God. They knew what that was. But God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice to a God who's alive. I want you to offer yourselves to God. That's what worship is. And I love that because we've got to get that in our heart and mind that when we come to worship God on a Saturday or a Sunday, that we come not just to sit there and see what's going to happen, but that we would, when the worship starts, we would raise our hands. We would bend our knee or we'd clap or, or something or maybe the word of the Lord needs to come forth out of us or something. We need to be there saying, God, I am a living sacrifice tonight. I'm going to worship you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, I love you. And not just show up to hear some music and hear a sermon and go home, but to offer yourself, God, here I am. Here I am. I want to hear from you. I want to obey you. I want to do whatever you want me to do. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because you can do great at church, but it it goes to Monday morning. And offering yourself as a living sacrifice Monday morning, saying, God, what do you have for me today to do? What are you calling me to do today? And just being open to his leading and to the Spirit, because he says, for those that are in Christ, led according to the Spirit, that's the ones that are in Christ. Those are the ones that are in God and that God is going to use. William Booth was the founder of of the Salvation Army, and and we know the great work that that's done over the the centuries. But you think about about his life, and somebody asked him one time, why do you do what you do? And here was this very simple phrase, and he said this, Jesus Christ has all of me. Very simply, Jesus Christ is all of me. That's powerful. That's the foundation of the Christian life. Saying, and that's what worship is. Saying, Jesus has all of me. 
And I'm going to press the pause button there just for a moment, and, and I want us to go into verse 2. And we're going to come back to verse 1 in just a moment, but that's a pause, and we go into verse 2. And I'm going to read it from two different translations just quickly. It'll be on the screen, from the Message Translation and then from the J.B. Phillips Translation. It says, Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you, develops well-informed or well-formed maturity in you. Now let me read it from the J.B. Phillips translation. Perhaps you've heard this before, but Romans 12, 2 says, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all the demands, all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. What is Paul saying in this passage? And I want you to get this in your heart. Is he saying, look, you are now under God's jurisdiction. You do not belong to this world. You do not belong to the old man or the old nature or to sin like we heard in Romans 1-3. through You don't belong there anymore. You now belong to God. So do not get squeezed into the world's mold. Do not pattern yourself like everybody else according to what the world system thinks. Whatever pop culture tells you is the way to be. Because you know what? If you do that, that's simply rebelling against God. It is a path toward destruction. If you allow the world to shape who you are, you will not only displease God, you will be an enemy of God. And that process of being squeezed into the world's mold is what we as Christians need to resist. And so we go into what is he saying here? How do we escape the power of this world? How do we choose the will of God rather than the will of the world? Well, it says in verse 2 in the New Living Translation, it says, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I want you to get this in your heart tonight. You've got to begin to change the way that you think. And you say, well, my heart makes the decisions. I'm led by my heart. Your heart is governed by your mind. And so we have to look at our mind. It says right here in this passage that God wants to renew our mind. Because we will live out what we really believe. What we think is true, that's the way we're going to live. And the reason we get tripped up by sin is because sin promises us something and we decide to believe the sin. We decide that that is true and so we are deceived and and then we are squeezed into the world's mold. Erwin Lutzer said it this way, the difference between worldliness and godliness is a renewed mind. Change always starts in the mind. You will never see true change in your life until you first begin changing your mind. See, I want to tell you, if if you're going to just change the way you behave and not change the way you think, you are wasting your time. You've got to change the way you think. See, God wants to transform you. The word for transformation in the Greek is metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis from. 
God wants to see this radical change. And it's the same word that we use for repentance, of turning around, that complete turn around. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to change you. And what is he? The world wants to squeeze you into its mold. God wants to squeeze you into his mold. And what is God's mold? We just go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and we spent time talking about this, that God's plan for you is to be conformed into the image of his Son. That's what God wants to do. You can, be, you can be squeezed and look so much like this world, or you can be squeezed into the image of his Son. See, God says, I want to change your mind. I want to change your heart. I want to change your life. I have something so much better for you. And you say, yes, sign me up. Where? And so the question becomes, how? How do we do this? How do we get this new heart, this new mind, and and follow God? And it's very simple. I want you to write it down. I want you to get it inside of you. And and it's very simple. How do you change your mind? How are you transformed by God? It's simply through God's word. His word to us through the Bible when he speaks to us. The thing I love about God is you don't have to guess what he's thinking. You don't have to guess and, and, and wonder, how am I going to please him? How, how is this all going to work out? What does he really want me to do? God loves you so much that he gave you the Bible. He gave you his word. He wants to speak to you through his word and say, this is what I desire for your life. And he tells us the truth. He says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This world will destroy you. Don't be squeezed into that mold. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. God tells us exactly in his word what he wants us to know. And when we begin to saturate our mind in the word of God, that's when our lives begin to change. Because we're thinking his thoughts now. We're beginning to go in a new direction And so I want to share some things with you tonight. And these are some verses. I'm going to go very quickly through them. And so you may rather want to write them down than open your Bible and try and find them so that you can go back and allow the Word of God to saturate your mind. But most of them actually come from Psalm 119. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I'm going to begin with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. This world system is coming to an end. God is just getting started. See, I want to tell you, put your heart and mind into the word of God. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that about God's word. Verse 11 of Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I would be saturated in the word of God, conformed into the image of Christ. If you read Psalm 119, I'm going to give you some more verses here. But if you read Psalm 119, you're going to notice the word quicken is in there over and over again if you have the uh, King James Version. And, and it's made alive and resurrected and, and revitalized in some other translations. But that's the idea, that you are made alive through the word of God. That you're made alive when God speaks to you through his word. Psalm 119, 159 says, Consider how I love your precepts. I love your word. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. I love that picture. I love your word. Revive me. Make me alive. Revitalize me. Resurrect me through your word. Psalm 119, 107. I'm afflicted very much. 
Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. When you come under pressure, when you go through difficult times, allow the word of God to revive you. Psalm 119, 37 says, uh, turn, my eyes away, uh, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. What a beautiful statement. You, know, get, you don't want to be squeezed into that world's mold. That is a worthless way to go. Again, be revived through the Word of God, that we would love the Word of God, that we would live the Word of God. That's what God says. I want you to saturate yourself with my Word and think my way. Do it my way. And I bet you we're all like, I, I want to do that. I bet you if I had you raise your hands, like, I want to do that. But why is it so hard to do that? Why is it so difficult? Because we would say, yes, I, I want the word. I want to think God's way. I don't want to think the world's way. I don't want to think my way. But why is it so hard? And the reason is, is because God's word is not our default setting, is it? Paul says our default setting is sin. If we were just left to ourselves, that's where we'd go to again and again and again. And so we need to go to God's word. There's three statements that come out of our mouth a lot, or maybe we don't say them, but we think them. And there's three statements that, that kind of can be the gauge of, of where you're at. Those three statements will be on the screen. It's the statements, I think, I feel, I want. And those are okay things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with thinking or feeling or wanting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things. But when the sentence ends after it starts, how does it end? I think, but is what you think according to your thoughts or according to this world system? Or is what you think according to God's word? I feel, is it according to how your emotions are going right at that moment? Or is it the faith believing? I may not see it, but I know it. I want, well, this is what I want. Or is it the other side, I want what God wants. And God says, man, when you love me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Amen. See, those things, they're not bad things to say. But how are they guided? How are they structured? Are they structured by your selfish ambition or are they structured by the word of God? See, conforming is a process of molding. It's, it's, it's like that clay and, and, the, and the hands working through the clay, forming and molding and squeezing. And the world has a way of doing it, and God has a way of doing it, and they are so diametrically opposed, and we don't even understand the process, and we, we, we think it doesn't even make sense in my human brain. God, God's way seems to be the exact opposite of the world's way. You come tonight and we take up an offering and you took out your wallet or your checkbook or, or somehow, some way you, you, you gave what you have in the offering and you think in your mind, I've given this much to God so I, I'm that much poorer. But God says, no, when you've given, you're actually richer. See, that, that's God's economy. He says, I, I want you to be a servant to everyone. Yeah, but if I'm a servant to everyone, they're going to take advantage of me, and this could happen, and that could happen, and, and I'll be weak. And God says, no, you will be mighty. You'll be strong. You'll be the greatest if you serve. It goes on and on. We think of humility as something that is weak. But God says, unless you're humble, I won't hear one prayer you pray. 
See, we've got to get that, that with God, it's different. That if I want to gain life, I've got to lose my life. That's overwhelming, isn't it? If I want to be satisfied, I've got to be hungry. If I want to be big, I've got to get small. It just, it's just so different to the world system. But God says, my way is better than your way. And my way will last forever. I love what Matthew, or excuse me, John 12, 25 says, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, when I read verses like that, it makes me jump back, where we pause for just a moment, back to the, the first verse there, where Paul says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. This is the right thing to do, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And I go back to what William Booth said, that Jesus Christ has all of me. That that would be our response to God. God, you've got all of me. It's like any important relationship in our life. It only works when you give all of yourself. And so it's just saying, God, you've got all of me. And it's hard to preach or think about in, in the context in which we sit here tonight because when we think of being squeezed into the world's mold, it's probably different than what other Christians think about around the world. Then what we think about that, well, if we do that, we'll be destroyed or or, you know, that if I give, you know, to Christ, then, you know, well, people might make fun of me. Or, you know, it'll, it just it looks different or, or what have you. But, but God is saying, I want you to lay it all down. I want you to place it all down. Another great statement from the, the, the Salvation Army that they made new recruits wear around is they had to wear these sandwich boards that said, dead to public opinion. I love that. Dead to public opinion. I don't care what anybody says about me. I belong to God. Think of Paul in prison in Rome. In Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to think about Paul. He was writing from a Roman prison. His trial was coming up, and he didn't know if he was going to be set free or if he was going to die. And he said, either way, it's all good because I belong to God. I might belong to him here on this earth for a little bit longer, or I may belong to him face to face soon. But if I need to lose my life for his sake, I'll do it. I was thinking of how can we put this into perspective, and I was thinking of telling some stories and things like that, but we have a very special night coming up in the month of March on a Sunday night. We're going to pray for the persecuted church. We're going to watch a simulcast and be a part of it with Francis Chan. And I want us to just watch this video as we think about the statement that Jesus Christ has all of me. That I belong to him. That I'm not going to be squeezed into this world's mold, but I'm going to be like Christ. And so would you just allow this to be kind of our final moment tonight before we pray. And allow God to speak to you about what it means to say, Jesus, you have all of me. To live as Christ and to die as gain.
most persecuted religious group in the world at present. 100 to 200 million Christians at any one time under persecution. So it is a major human rights issue. If you care about human rights, you should care about persecution, especially persecution of Christians. These night vision images shot from an American unmanned aircraft captured the moment a bomb went off at the Church of Our Lady of Salvation. We used to have 1.2 million Christians in Iraq. Now we have probably got less than 200,000. <laughs> So I think I will die because six beside me died. They throw grenades from the door and piece of body. I baptized 13 people. 11 of them were killed the following week. I told them, God, he chose me to be Christian. I must be Christian. I will not leave my religion. And those imams were telling her that if you are not going to come back to Islam, you know you will be facing the penalty of death. Mom said, it will always be Christ. group we should care for more on this earth than the persecuted church. And people say to me, why are you not scared? And I say, because perfect love casts out all fear. It is well, it is well with my soul. in your hearts with me tonight. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. want to give us some time tonight in our, our closing minutes together to just have some private prayer and to offer ourselves to Christ fresh and new as living sacrifices think about what that means Obviously, it means different things in our culture, but are you really laying down your life, saying, God, I belong to you, no matter the cost, no matter the price, that I'll serve you not just on a Saturday or a Sunday, but all the days of my life. It's not easy, but Paul pleads with us. 
I plead with you tonight. I beg you tonight to offer yourself. And as you do, allow God through his word to transform you into something new. That your heart, that your actions, that your mind be guided by God, not by this world system, not by what we think is best, but by God and his word. So take these moments of surrender, this time with God, and just tell him that you have all of me. I'll let you have that time with God. is a night of surrender.
light of all that God has done for us as we read from Romans 1 through Romans 11. In view of his love and his grace and his mercy, the only logical or reasonable or acceptable thing we can do is to offer ourselves completely to the one who gave everything for us, who hung naked on a cross for our sin, because he loved us so much. And as Romans teaches,